if you want to know what you're committed to, look at your results. Look at where yeah. you're creating in your life. That's where you're committed to. Welcome to the Have It All podcast. I'm Elon Ferdman, and along with my brother Guy, we're Satori Prime. We've spent the last 16 years on a quest of mastery, and not just in business, all areas. Mastery of our finances, our bodies, our relationships, and most importantly, our minds. You see, while most people fantasize about their dream life, we went out and created it. And you bet we learned a few things along the way. So if you want to gain new skills and tools that will help you achieve the life of your dreams, well, you've come to the right place. So get ready to have your mind expanded. Implement what you learn here today, and you'll start living the life of your dreams instead of just, well, dreaming about it. So are you ready to have it all? Let's go. Hello, hello, everyone. Elon here. Welcome back to the Have It All podcast. Super excited to have you guys here today. We just had an amazing conversation. Uh, it was me and a gentleman by the name of Mike Bundrant. And um, he is an NLP expert. And the topic of the conversation today was about self-sabotage. How you self-sabotage, why you self-sabotage, and more importantly, how to stop self-sabotage. This was a super, super cool conversation. It's steeped in a lot of the stuff that you guys have probably heard from Guy and I um, in our Have It All teaching and Have It All webinars and things like that. And I loved Mike's take on it. Really boiled it down to some really, really simple tips, which I think you guys will greatly, greatly enjoy. So let's jump right in and enjoy. All right, everyone. Welcome back. So... Like I said in the intro, I'm super, super excited to have this conversation with you guys because it's going to be a very different take on things that Guy and I share with you all the time. And to do that, we brought the expert, Mike Bundrant of INLP Centers. So Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, Elon. Good to be here. Awesome. So rather than me bore people with like a BS profile, why don't you tell people what you're passionate about, what you love to share with people, and and we'll dive in after that. You're gonna put the boring stuff on me then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like you're gonna okay. I feel like you're gonna make it a little more exciting than me just reading off your website. Well, we'll see. <laughs> uh, my name's Mike Bundrant. Uh, the website is inlpcenter.org, and we uh, train people, uh, life coaches, therapists, people interested in personal development, people from business. Uh, we train and certify people in neuro linguistic programming. Uh, which is NLP. It's a personal development communication skills uh, protocol. And we've developed a unique approach that answers the question, what do you do when your best strategy fails you? Mm -hmm. In other words, I know exactly what to do. I've got the best strategy. I know it will work. For some reason, I'm not doing it. I'm sabotaging it uh, and those kinds of things. So, uh, We've got a really cool take on that that uh, isn't in the mainstream, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. And uh, how long have you been doing this, just out of curiosity? NLP training since, well, I took my NLP practitioner training in 1992. And I started training in the United States and Japan in 1995 and have been training uh, in one capacity or another ever since, whether in corporations or my own training center. Um, I 
also became a mental health counselor and practiced as a counselor for 10 years along the way and then left that system more or less. And so quite, quite a long time, but we put it all online to kind of answer the question, how do you take a comprehensive set of skills that are behavioral yep. and, and teach them online in such a way that they actually integrate? And uh, we figured out that question. 2011, we put it all online. Wow, which is pretty early, I guess, for yes. the online game. What I'd like for us to talk about today is obviously uh, I watched your videos, uh, I read that book, and uh, one of the topics that we had discussed we would share with the audience today is all around self-sabotage, which is something that I think everyone that's on the entrepreneurial journey, trying to become an entrepreneur, has tried and failed to become an entrepreneur, has uh, faced in one shape, one way, shape, or form. So. Yeah. Why don't you tell people a little bit about, because you have a really unique process around self-sabotage. So why don't we start with that? Sure. So I guess we should define self-sabotage mm-hmm. as avoidable, unnecessary, self-inflicted failure. <laughs> because we all know if you're going to start a business or whatever you're going to do, things can happen in life that are out of your control that are legitimate obstacles to deal with. But what about when I get in my own way? Uh, I make choices at some level that are not in my best interest. Well, I sort of set myself up for self-sabotage and, uh, and can't get out of my own way. That's what we're really talking about. Yeah. I unwittingly choose the wrong uh, course. For so, so just give people like an example. So now that we have the definition, kind of an example of what that means so they get in their head about what it is. Okay could be lots of different examples. Um, it could be that I know what I need to do to uh, get my business off the ground, to market my business and so forth, but I'm not doing it. I'm procrastinating and at the end of the day, feeling a little bit like a failure. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be on a personal level that um, you know I want to feel uh, empowered, accepted, and speak my mind, but you know, I don't. When it comes down to it, comes to sharing my own opinion, I freeze and I end up giving my power away and letting other people's agenda kind of rule the day. Yeah, Those kinds of things. It could be uh, that I start a diet and as soon as things start to go really well, I start to feel a little bit better, I quit yeah. or I make some excuse that uh, I, you know, make some excuse to, hey, I I've done really well. I deserve to uh, binge now or something. Yeah, let me me get a break. There's two that come to mind, and these are ones that we actually coach a lot of people around. One is um, people reach a certain level of monetary success in their business, and then they can't ever seem to crack that ceiling. So whether it's, you know, three grand a month, five grand a month, 10 grand a month, and it just seems like every time they come into like a little bit more money, they'll just somehow crash themselves back to that comfort level. That's one. And two, uh, around intimate relationships, people tend to go into these loops and patterns of they find someone who's really great and then it somehow always blows up. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so in those cases, uh, we have to look at it in a certain way, which is if I've reached a certain level of monetary success and I sabotage myself in terms of getting higher, um, I'm preferring the lower level of income, whatever it is I'm getting 
at some level, I'm preferring it. Um, I may consciously be really frustrated by that preference, but at some level, the uh, what I would consciously call failure is what I want, is what I'm preferring. And that's really what we have to get at. So let, let's talk about that for a second, because here's, here's the normal listener who's never heard or thought about something like this. When you say a word like, I'm preferring that, they're like, Mike, you're out of your mind. Yeah, no, I no. hate that. And uh-huh. every time I'm there, I find myself drinking or binge eating or crying. Like, there's no way I prefer that. So let's distinguish what preferring means in this. Yeah. Yeah. So what preferring means is we have to sort of take a look at uh, to the unconscious mind uh, where 95% of our decisions are made, right? Kind of rules our life in a major, major way. To the unconscious mind, there's one thing that's more important than anything else. And uh, that's familiarity. That's safety. What's familiar to us is what's safe to us. And we're going to prefer in a way that we can't control. We're going to prefer what's familiar to us all the time. I tell people, you know, we will choose a familiar misery over a foreign happiness. Yeah, the devil that you know. The devil that you know, right? And so in terms of preference, the number one preference is familiarity. And even emotions that consciously uh, are extremely frustrating but familiar, we're going to set ourselves up to re-experience those emotions. And so if I grow up experiencing a certain kind of uh, sort of glass ceiling, certain kind of rejection, put down, or what have you, as I grow up, if there's a familiar pattern of that, in my life, and I survive it, um, and so on and so forth. Uh, I, my unconscious mind learned, built up a super high tolerance for it. That's the familiar rut for me. And uh, I don't like it, but unconsciously, it's like a magnet to me. Yeah. It's, what's, it's what's safe to me. And so it's one thing to say, well, um, I do this because it's the only thing um, I've ever known. But we really have to take it a step further and say, I, at some level, prefer this. I, at some level, want this because it's the only thing I've ever known. We have to take that level of ownership of it in order for it to pop and go, wow, I'm seeking this. I don't like it. I'm seeking it. Now I got to figure out how I'm seeking it what I'm doing to sustain this old uh, familiar BS that I've been dealing with for a long time. Yeah. I mean, I think a great example is one that you used uh, in the video and and I think in the book as well around um, women in either abusive physically or mental relationships and how they choose to stay there and kind of how that got created from a very, very young age with, with controlling parents. So maybe just Let's give them kind of the example of what that would look like. I think that makes it very obvious. It's interesting. I have a story uh, from a couple of weeks ago in my private coaching practice where a, uh, a woman was in this situation and, and 
she said, here's where she started with. She said, the guy I've been dating, it was really traumatic. The guy I've been dating, uh, we went to on a short day trip to another city and we got in a fight and he left me in that city. I had no transportation and he just bolted. And she says, I, I, I can't get it out of my mind. I was so shocked. And so we started to trace back that relationship because one of the things that happens is you start a relationship with someone. If it's not the right person, if it's not a safe person, there are going to be red flags. Yeah. So we traced the relationship back and identified about 10 major red flags, things that this guy did that she noticed that should have been uh, a call to say, you know what, I'm done. I'm done. It's over with. That, that In every single case, in terms of that red flag, she made an excuse for him. Hmm. And the excuse enabled the relationship, his behavior, and it ultimately ended up being, you know, blowing up on her. And so one of the things we do, uh, again, she has a history of being with jerks. That's what's familiar. And so her unconscious pattern is to enable the jerk. When she sees a more or less brazen red flag that says, get out of here and end this relationship now, rather than get out of, get out of the situation so to avoid the pain, she actually makes an excuse to stay in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And that is a really good example of self-sabotage where you're putting yourself in a situation where you're going to be hurt, you're going to be controlled, you're going to be deprived, you're going to end up in pain. And uh, if you look back over your history, that's kind of what you're used to and you're gravitating toward that and really paving the way for it to happen. Yeah. And uh, you end up going, my gosh, how could this guy do this? And well, that's all true. It's inexcusable behavior. That kind of behavior uh, should absolutely not be tolerated. There's no excuse for it. But the better question in terms of personal development is, why am I tolerating it? Yeah, exactly. You took the words out of my mouth. So yeah. in is any of these situations, why are we human beings pulled to stay in these situations and repeat them over and over and over? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. And we could use the... Uh, familiarity principle, the mere exposure effect. The mere exposure effect is actually really interesting. They've done scientific studies where they'll put some object in a classroom of students, which is like a, some sort of disgusting, unappealing object where people gross out, and they won't comment on it. They'll just leave it there. And at first, students are like disgusted and whatever, and then within a week or two, they like it. <laughs> a week or two, they're having a good time around it. They're making jokes. They're, they've completely adapted to it and they like it. So the theory is merely being exposed to something where it becomes more familiar, you end up actually uh, liking it more. That's all it takes. Uh, hmm. Familiar with something and you naturally adapt to it in that way. Well, when it comes to negativity and pain and bad outcomes, as we're, experience, as we're exposed to those more and more and more as growing up, 
it's not that we like them consciously, but they do become more familiar. And if there's a real pattern of it, if your parents were a certain way and you had to adapt to that, don't be surprised if you go out in life and as an adult seeking to have your parent in your life in some other form, uh, along with all the negative uh, results from that. It's uh, one, of my, one of my earliest mentors used to say, there's two lines that used to say, he said, one, if a human being stands in sewage long enough, they'll stop smelling it. Exactly. And uh, the other thing that I thought was really interesting, kind of what we were talking about before is, he would always ask if you, you know, people are like, why does this keep happening to me? And his line was, because this is what you're committed to. And then everyone would go in a tizzy, be like, what do you mean? This is what I'm committed to. I hate this. And right. he's like, if you want to know what you're committed to, look at your results. Look at what yeah. you're creating in your life. That's what you're committed to. And that, I think yeah. it's kind of the first break that you need to have, which is like, holy shit. At, a, at least at a subconscious level, I could try on the fact that I am addicted to this outcome over and over and over. Yep. Yep. I agree. I agree 100%. And thoroughly uh, addicted. In other words, if you say, okay, if you want to know what you're addicted to, uh, what you're committed to, look at your behaviors. Well, I suggest we learn to see some of our behaviors that we so take for granted, such as our paradigm, the lens Mm. we look through, um, and see those as behaviors. For example, let's say... Uh, let's talk about the bizarre reality that I might be committed to rejection, right? And so here's how that might play out. I get invited to go to a party, right? And um, it's like, ah, that makes me a little bit nervous because people aren't going to like me, right? There's my first behavior. I'm looking through a lens that anticipates rejection. Yep. That's my first behavior is adopting that lens. And then I start to think, ah, I'm nervous. I don't want to go. Should I go? Should I not go? I've got scenarios in my mind of how it's not going to turn out well. I get myself to go. I walk into the party anticipating that rejection. What am I going to find evidence for? Well, this guy makes more money than I do. She has better social skills than I do. Oh, look, somebody walked by. They didn't even acknowledge me. Oh, look, there's people over there talking and there's, they're not making room for me to jump in the conversation. I don't fit in here and nobody likes me, right? There's the evidence that I'm going to see. I mean, that is a deep and thorough unconscious commitment to rejection that ends up being the self-fulfilling prophecy. And I leave that party going, I told you so, yeah. uh, right? And the anxiety that have about rejection is part and parcel. In other words, that's just, that's part of the lens that I adopt. And then it just makes that story more concrete, makes the feelings more real. And so now let's kind of start spinning this out. Let's even use that scenario. How does one start breaking these addictions and by the way, do you talk about with, with your students about like the, the physical, chemical physiology that happens in the body of, of why we're addicted to this stuff? Uh, we don't educate about the, uh, the chemical, the, the sort of the biochemical nature, but we acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a real, it's a real thing. And, and it adds a level of complexity to it where 
um, in, in terms of the neural pathways that are created, the deeply ingrained habits, those are all real. It's not like you can, you know, sort of think your way out of those. Uh, it's real. And so because of that, the process that we use to get out of this sort of level of deep self-sabotage acknowledges it in that um, it's not magic, right? It's not come show up for a breakthrough session and... (laughs) I fixed you. (laughs) I fixed you, right? Done. Um, it, It really isn't that. So we do acknowledge all that. And the process of how do you get out of it starts with what I consider to be the most difficult step, which is seeing the commitment to it, mm. right? That level of ownership where you go, and I'm not saying it's anybody's fault. It's not your fault. It's not my fault. Uh, we all have these patterns. Uh, but it starts with, what do you know? I'm seeking rejection at an unconscious level. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm committed to this at an unconscious level. And then the next step would be to figure out how you're doing it, which is going to, as soon as you go there, it's like I tell my clients sometimes, look, just you wake up every day and you now have a new goal. And the new goal, super twisted, the goal is I write down on my three by five card, my app, whatever, say my goal today is... uh, to give myself the experience of rejection as many times as possible. Oh, interesting. That's my goal today. And because I look back over my life, that's kind of what I do, right? And so I'm going to consciously own that, get in the driver's seat of that rather than have be chained to the back of the bus kind of thing. So now I'm going to go through the day and go, given this is my goal, now I got to find out how I'm doing it. Now I got to catch myself in the process. And so I walk into the office and, uh, there's a note on my desk. My boss says, hey, I need to see you right away. And I immediately feel like, oh, shit, you know, uh, he, you know he, he didn't like the report I turned in. There it is, right? Instant interpretation of rejection and all it is. It's, it could be a surprise party for me. We don't know what that is, yeah. right? Instant interpretation. I text somebody and, hey, how you doing? I don't hear back right away. There it is, right? Instant rejection. And so I catch myself as many times as possible during the day reaching that goal, right? I did it. I just did it again. And so I'm owning this whole process. And one of the things that happens, again, not magic, one of the things that happens over the time over time is your your awareness, your consciousness literally expands to yeah. include part of your experience that wasn't included before. And the more your consciousness expands, uh, the more choice you have. You, you cannot have a choice about things that you're not aware of. And we're doing all this stuff, and now it's inside of our awareness. So one of the things that happens over a period of time where we start to go, do I really need to feel rejected right now because so-and-so didn't uh, respond to my text? we start to question ourselves and doubt whether or not we have to go there. And at that point, any and all kinds of different NLP interventions, any kind of interventions could be helpful in terms of learning to uh, re-image things, uh, get ourselves in a different state of mind. All kinds of cool interventions come into play at this point because 
we've sort of uncovered a thread that's, you know, maybe raw, sort of untapped territory. Yeah. And now we can intervene on. So that seems to me, and with my clients as well, the, the awareness is generally the most difficult part. Because what happens is in those moments, it's very mechanical almost. Like the, the, the biochemical stuff fires, the filter's on. For them to even catch that this filter is coming on, that the, they feel rejected, all that stuff, it is, that's really the most difficult step. It, it usually takes people a little bit of practice just to, holy shit, that happened again. Holy shit, that happened again. Um, sure. Are there any tips or tricks or anything that you share with people on how they be, become more aware of it, especially in the early on stages? Yeah. Actually setting the goal at the beginning of the day mm. is one really good way. In other words, we're not just waiting to see what happens today. We're looking at something that has been happening for a long time, only now we're going to uh, predict that it's going to happen, which is pretty safe prediction. So if I set that goal today, I'm, re- I'm going I'm, I'm to experience rejection as much as possible. And now I'm looking for it ahead of time. And so that helps to begin to notice, right? Yeah. And so sort of expecting it ahead of time, making it your focus for the day, uh, that helps. Then uh, in NLP, there's some VAK awareness techniques that often help too. And so uh, when it does happen and when you do notice it, then you teach people to uh, sit down and say, okay, what am I picturing in my mind? Uh, What am I hearing? What am I feeling? And so I'm in this rejection. Someone didn't respond to my text. What am I picturing? Well, I'm picturing them reading my text and going, I'm not going to respond to Mike. I'm actually playing these images in my mind, which can happen just that quickly. And I respond to them and I don't even know. So you slow down and go, what do you see here and feel on the inside right now? And now you actually got some stuff that you can work with. Uh, That's another way to begin to uh, become aware by breaking it down into its various uh, thought components. Awesome. So now we're aware. Now we see this is happening. What's our next step? We're aware. Uh, we're, we're seeing it's happening over a period of time. We've taken ownership of that at some level. I've got this deeper motivation to make it continue to happen. And I'm catching myself in the process of doing it throughout the day. So the next step is something that actually occurs quite naturally at that point, which is um, you start to go, is it necessary to do this? I mean, what are my other choices? Do I have other options? And at that point, um, straightforward uh, outcome specification, goal setting is really appropriate. It's like, okay, so instead of responding to, you know, the delay in getting a text back, instead of responding by going immediately into rejection, how would you rather respond? Well, I want to respond by um, just uh, 
relaxing and giving the other person the benefit of the doubt. Okay, and now we start to specify that goal and figure out what are the internal processes that we need to put in place in order to make that happen. So it's sort of like with this deep attachment, if you set a goal that, you know, I'm going to feel confident throughout my day, but there's this deeper attachment sort of happening, that confidence goal might not just override that attachment. But now we're loosening the attachment to the negativity, and now setting a goal actually has a lot of real potential because we're not as committed to the negative side of things before. So, okay, good. Now we've loosened this up a little bit. Uh, What do you want to put in its place? What's your goal? That would be the next step. Gotcha. So basically seeing that you have a choice in that moment creating other options of choices. And then the next step I'm assuming from that would be to act and move forward on that, whatever that new thing that you decide is. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there may be multiple levels of opportunity. For example, a lot of times when we have this kind of self-sabotage going, we have missed out over time in developing certain skill sets. So let's say I sabotage myself by giving other people control. I I avoid conflict. I won't speak up and these kinds of things. I end up feeling powerless and other people are in control. It's sort of like my commitment is to be controlled by other people and I won't step in to my own power. Well, let's say that I work out of that and now I'm I I give myself permission to speak up and engage and get involved. Well, now I may need to develop some social skills, negotiation skills. It's like, okay, I would say, Elon, this is my opinion about it. And you go, oh, hold on, Mike, I don't agree with that. Now I've got to figure out how to communicate with you, maintain rapport, Mm. so on and so forth, while we're working stuff out. So skill development could be part Mm. of uh, reaching that goal, too. Uh, so lots of lots of great opportunity. But the cool thing is all of those opportunities, you can get real traction with those opportunities now because you're not working against yourself. You don't have this unconscious drive towards staying in the same old rut where you're going to sabotage your goals and your skill building and so forth. Now they're actually going to work, which is yeah. there's uh There's a scene, I'm sure, did you see the movie The Matrix? Yeah. Okay. So there's a scene. It's, it's the first one. It's kind of right in the beginning. They're about to pull that, that bug out of him or whatever, or they do. I don't remember. And yeah. he's freaking out. He's in the car. He's like, ah, and he's like, let me out of the car. Let me out of the car. And he kind of opens the door and Trinity just looks over at him and she's like, you know, exactly where that road leads, you yeah. know, what it's going to look like, you know, exactly the answers and results that you're going to get if you go down that road. And something that I always tell my clients, because you're asking them to behave in a very unnatural way. It's like when someone goes to the gym for the first time and they're 300 pounds and you're like, do a pull up. It's just, you know, it's unrealistic. It's like, that's not going to happen. So you have to modify, you have to do this, you have to do that. So it feels awkward And it's like, well, if you do things the same way you've always done them, you know exactly the results. You know exactly how much money you're going to make, how you're going to sabotage your relationships, whatever. Like at least here, you could try something. And even if that something doesn't work, like say they come up with a choice and that choice doesn't produce the result that they're super excited about. Well, guess what? 
there's millions of other choices that you can now try again. And eventually you find the rhythm. I like what you added in there though, that inherent in that is you're going to have to learn new skills. And I think that's something that people just kind of like think, Oh, well, I'm just going to change this one thing and I'll be able, I'll be great. No, like you you have to upgrade a lot of things. You got to upgrade a lot of things. Right. And here, here's another, you make such a great point. Um, because Here's another uh, thing I think we don't think about a lot. So let's say that now um, I'm speaking up and I'm, I'm upgrading my skills and I'm feeling very empowered, right? Now, feeling very empowered is also something that I'm not used to, right? Mm-hmm. It's been a foreign thing. And again, to the unconscious mind, foreign, bad, right? Foreign, not safe, don't know what to expect. And so in a weird kind of way, um, I'm going to have to learn to tolerate my new power. Yeah. I'm going to have to adapt to it. And that's, again, not going to happen overnight. It's like uh, uh, the psychologist Nathaniel uh, Brandon had this term he called happiness anxiety. <laughs> when happiness makes you anxious, you're not used to being happy and when you've been happy in the past, uh, stuff has gone wrong. You've been disappointed. So now, to, now happiness means the other shoe is going to drop and it creates anxiety. And so the, the real issue when you figure out how to be happy consistently is to learn to tolerate the happiness, to, to trust it, right? Uh, that's, that's what you need to do. So we're, I'm going to become more accepted, not rejected. I'm going to become more uh, empowered. Uh, I'm going to become happier. And these are these have been foreign concepts to me. And so don't expect to just embrace it and live happily ever after. Expect to resist it a little bit. Expect to have to get used to it and learn to tolerate it. And it's, yeah. again, it's not something that we commonly expect to have to do well i'm going to have to learn to tolerate happiness yeah you do a lot of times (laughs) it's it's funny our uh, methodology is have it all you know how how do you have it all in life yeah and inherent in that which is part of the reason we did it is because to the human mind when most people here have it all the mind goes well that's fucking bullshit you can't have it all yeah. Right? And yeah. so our whole methodology is around getting people to continuously ask themselves, how good am I willing to have it? Like, how much can I actually be willing to receive? Inherent in that is exactly what you said, right? As you expand, what shows up? Not your expansion. It sh- what shows up is everything in the way of your next level of expansion. So if you're yeah. like, Hey, I want to be a millionaire. Well, guess what? What's going to show up is not a million bucks. It's all the ways you suck around money and finances. Right, right. Exactly. That's that's right. That's it. Yeah. So I want to just switch gears because I I, I want to um, have a a conversation around the book that you sent me, which is the, I think it was called the Achilles eel, right? Your Achilles eel, not heel, but your Achilles eel. Yeah. So you did something in that book that is genius. And then there's something that I have like a personal question about. Yeah. Because I've kind of been going on this route recently and 
Um, just to give you a little bit of background, I was in the jungle in Colombia. We did uh, plant medicine ceremonies. And I really got to experience in a very new way um, the masculine energy, right? The force, the do-do-do, and then the feminine energy. And like really play with the allowing and receiving and creating and being soft. And uh, one of the things that, that we always like to do, and I thought you did it so well in the book, is distinguish something in the body as outside of self. Uh-huh. Like to see that thing as something else so you can almost interact with it as yeah. another entity. And yeah. that's what I love. So first, why don't you just give people a little bit of background on, on how you explained it. And then I have just a personal question about why the eel and stuff like that. Oh, okay, cool. So uh, your Achilles eel was written. I wrote that. I created this eel character. And the eel, um, it's a parasitic eel uh, that latches on to fish and basically sucks the nutrients out of them until the fish die, right? And so I created this eel character as the self-sabotaging part of you that wants to basically drain you of happiness. It kind of thrives on uh, draining you of happiness and creating negativity. And it's this part of you, right? It's the, uh, the demon inside you. And in the book, um, I play the part of the eel mm-hmm. and I talk to the reader and I basically say, hey, look, here I am, you like it or not, I'm this part of you and I'm going to tell you how it is. I'm going to introduce myself to you and tell you what I do to you and what I love to do to you mm-hmm. kind of thing. So it's a little bit of a, a kind of a fun setup that way to get a different uh, perspective and also to uh, sort of give a, um, a more objective, uh, put a name and a face or whatever to yeah. some part of you that you really have a hard time even identifying in the first place so that you can interact with it. Yeah. It was so brilliant. I mean, one of the things that I really loved is that I didn't even get that it sucks the happiness out of you. I, if my take on it was all of these things that we do to self-sabotage ourselves, like when we feel upset, when we feel rejected, when we feel controlled, all of these right, things right. That is what this entity eats. That's, it it, loves that stuff, that's yeah. its energy, right? right. So right. naturally, it, like anything else in life, does not want to die. And so it continuously puts us, like puppets, in scenarios that will feed it, you know, if, you're, if, if your juice is rejection, it will put you in those rooms where you could be right about being rejected. And then this eel is like, oh, feed me. This is exactly yeah. it. Yeah. Now that- it just keep making those situations over and over and over. And what I loved was like, holy shit, there's this other part of me, not me. I'm not doing this to me. There's this other part of me that's actually manipulating me situations so that it can survive. And once you kind of separate that separate from you, so it's not, I'm doing this. It's, there's this other thing. I think that gives people at least a choice 
to see things differently and not be like, there's something messed up or broken with me. It's like, no, this is just how human beings operate. Yeah. Yeah. And when this all happened, um, you didn't have a choice about it either. Right. I mean, it's like to go from the womb, the nirvana of the womb into (laughs) real life, you're going to bump into negativity, even with the best parents in the world, right? You're going to bump into negativity over and over and over and over again. And you got to do something with it. You, you have to do something with it. You have to build up a tolerance for it. Uh, But also with, with the eel metaphor, it sort of demonstrates that, um, we can develop an appetite for it um, that uh, because the negativity becomes so familiar, it actually becomes, uh, in many cases, the preferred option. And uh, we end up seeking it over and over and over again. So, yeah. You just reminded me, one of the, the clever things with it was that it's something that you created, like we as human beings invented when we were really, really young to help us cope with all these feelings of rejection or pain or whatever. And we're like, why don't you take this from me? Cause I don't want to feel this anymore. So we create this almost like garbage disposal eel character over time. It grows, right? It needs it more, grows. more and more. Yeah. yeah. So here's my question. Do you have kids? Yeah. Okay. So, and this is again, like I'm telling you, if, if we would have had this conversation literally a month ago, I wouldn't have even considered this. Um, okay. I have, I had this first thought where, did you read uh, Ryan Holiday's book, Ego is the Enemy? No. Okay. I love the analogy. I love everything. And the only thing that I was like, kind of eh about, I was like, it, it delves in the world of the masculine, right? Like you're in a fight with this thing. Yeah. Okay. Which it's is conflict. why, say it again. The conflict, right? This thing's trying to ruin you. You don't want it to happen. You can't control it. At the same time, it served a great purpose. It's not going away. It's stronger than you. What do you do? Yeah. Yes. Yes. So in that that world, right, like now when I've been like playing this feminine and all this stuff, I'm like, okay, what's another way, right? Because men were like, I can force this. I can make this happen. I can do this. I can fight this, et cetera, et cetera. When I read Ryan Holiday's Ego is the Enemy, I kind of had the same thing because like we teach a lot about ego and I, my relationship to ego recently has been more of, how old are your kids? Uh, from 13 to 26. Okay. So hopefully you still remember this, but like when they're really young. So like to me, an ego is more like building a relationship with a five-year-old, mm-hmm. right? Now- where most people in these instances, whatever it is, like they create this, you know, whether it's an eel or their ego or something, right? Because this thing in their perception has caused so much negativity, what you want to do is like, shut the fuck up, throw that thing in a closet and be like, I'm not going to feed you. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to this, blah, blah, blah. right? Right now, as a parent, you know that you could try all that stuff with a five-year-old and what's going to happen. That's not going to end up too well. No, no. (laughs) Right? Like, go south. Yeah, exactly. If you're going to ignore it, if you're going to be like, you're a terrible part of me, I don't want to deal with it, right? There's going to be a massive, massive uh, comeback. And so, as I was reading this, I was like, you know, interesting. What if it wasn't this combative relationship eel? 
what if it was this symbiotic relationship? You know, like these these uh, fish, for example, that that go onto other fish and and eat the the parasites and do all that stuff. And even though you know the the, the bite might hurt, or in the cleaning process they might get, it's it's right. part of the ecology. Like this is the necessary thing. However, you can build a relationship with it and be like, yeah. oh, you want to stay alive. Yeah. You want to you, you put me in this situation because you're hungry and you need to eat. Okay, well, let's, let's figure that out. And instead yeah. of like, I'm going to fight you, I'm going to, uh, which yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm telling yeah, you as a no, man, that's, like, that's my world. And now yeah. I got to play in this whole world with the feminine. I was like, there's, there's so, you know, like the way a mommy handles a tantrum child and a way a daddy handles a tantrum child. Right. So I was reading the book and I was like, I wonder if there's a way to redo it where it's like, I'm building a relationship with this thing. I'm not fighting this thing. And that's really what right. I wanted to ask you and just see where your take on it was. It, it's a brilliant point. And the truth of the matter is when you're actually working with people on this issue, the feminine energy is where it's at. It's all about integration. So let me give you an example. Please. A lot of, uh, a lot of times people's eel shows up as an inner critical voice. It says, yes. you suck, you're going to fail, blah, 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 blah. Well, uh, the way that I teach people to deal with that voice is an integrative technique that isn't about resisting that voice at all. It's all about first listen to the voice and pace the voice and actually own it. So the voice says, Mike, you're going to fail. And then I go, okay, um, I'm going to fail and tell me more. Hmm. Well, you've never done anything right in your life. Okay. I've never done anything in my life and uh, tell me more. And so through this process of I'm no longer resisting this inner voice, which is just pounding me, right? I'm just centered. I'm listening. I'm changing the you, you, you to an I, I, I. Mm. And I'm saying and saying, tell me more. You do that for 10 minutes or so. And suddenly the voice doesn't have much else to say. Yes. And then many times the voice starts to go, and you know, things things really aren't, we'll be, we'll be okay. Things aren't going to be that bad. Right. And suddenly the voice starts to transform. And so the eel, which was, you know, uh, eating your guts out is now supportive. It's no longer that eel. So all of that, you're absolutely right, is missing, is missing from the book. Uh, which was more about sort of making this one point about how we end up seeking self-sabotage. But the follow-up work needs to reflect uh, what actually happens to heal it. And it's not just taking that eel and ripping it out yeah. and shot it off. Yeah. That's actually, you, you, you're right on the money. That's not how you heal it. It's so good. And I'm so glad I asked because I'm reading this. I'm like, I'm so curious to hear your take. And again, I'm telling you, this is such a recent arena that I've gotten to play with, you know, just like soft and yeah. get the other person. And, you know, like yeah. when I was in the jungle, um, have you ever had any experience with plant medicine? 
No, I have clients who have done ayahuasca and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff, but I, I've never done it myself. So, so I had this experience where, um, you know, you purge here and there and, um, I've re rejiggered that in my head where it's like, you know, the medicine goes in and it, it finds like whatever your intention is, it literally goes into your body and finds the cells and parts of your body that are against that. So you mm-hmm. say something like, I want to enhance my psychic abilities or intuition, right? Well, it goes into your body and finds every cell and every part of you that is blocking that from actually occurring. And you can feel it happening. It, it's, it's, it's incredible. And so- wow. I had this one instance on one of the days where it literally like it, 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 I could feel everything coming and it just found this block and it just sat right here. It would not move. And every time I was like, get out of me, get out of me. It was like an eel. It literally like grabbed on with hands and just like wouldn't move. And I was like, move up. It was like, move up. I was like, all right. Okay. I can force it. That's not working. Right? Like I tried not working. So then I was like, okay, I can talk to it. And the same thing, like you just created in that book, which I thought was brilliant. I treated this as an entity and I started having a conversation. I was like, yeah. why are you, why aren't you leaving the body? And it's like, I'm afraid. And I was like, at that moment, it was like literally listening to my five-year-old son. I was like, that's it. Whoa. Like it would have never occurred to me. Right. And I was like, well, what are you afraid of? And it goes, well, if I leave you, I die. And it reminded me of the eel, exactly where you're talking, right? Like it only survives within you. And we had this incredible conversation and it was wild. I just remember sitting there going like, wow, I could use this literally in every area of life, like with anything, any pain, any hurt, any person. So yeah. that's why I wanted to bring it up to you. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's brilliant because um, the, that it occurred to you to talk to it is uh is brilliant because you know so often we have these feelings or whatever in and and so on and so forth and we're all about resisting them yes. we're all about and you get into a situation with someone where you go okay well first let's accept the fact that you have this feeling you know it's there let's not try to make it go away it is there it's been there for a long time right mm. yeah okay and then you go um well talk to it I mean, say hello, at least, right? And I say, hey, feeling, uh, what do you want? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's silly in a certain kind of way. But I tell you what's more silly is fighting a feeling for 10 or 15 years that's ruining your life and pretending that you don't have it or that you shouldn't have it or that or whatever. I mean, that's, that's silly, right? That's way more crazy. That's way more crazy. So let's get only mildly crazy, not super crazy, and say, I'm having this feeling and go inside and say, um, hello. Yeah. <laughs> let's just talk to it. Everything, everything in life is a relationship. I mean, yeah. y- you have a relationship outside to your intimate partners, to your boss, to your kids. And then internally, right, you have a relationship to your body. You have a relationship to your mind. You have a relationship to pain. You yeah. and I, I, I love getting people to the point where they can communicate with that and and have that relationship because the more you resist something and try to believe it is not there, it just gets louder. It doesn't go away. That's right. It's just like a kid, right? Like it's tugging at your pant leg, daddy, daddy, 
daddy, pay attention to me, pay attention to me. And you're like, I'm not going to pay attention. It's going to go break shit in the house. It's good. You know, like. That's right. Eventually you're going to have to pay attention. (laughs) Right. That's right. Exactly. And you know, one of the interesting things is the relationship with sort of different inner parts or feelings. Um, They've been trying to get our attention. They're that kid over 20, 25 years. We've been ignoring it. And so one of the common things we stop and we say, okay, 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 I'm in coaching now or therapy or whatever, so I'm going to talk to these feelings. And guess what? That feeling part of you, it doesn't trust you. Yeah, it's Why pissed. would it trust you? It's pissed, right? And so then you show up and say, okay, oh, I can talk to you. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to stop feeling this way and this way. <laughs> No way, right? No way. I mean, you've got to build a relationship with it. You, you have to rebuild trust with it, which I've never found um, uh, an example where that was just out of the question, right? Mm-hmm. But, I, uh, but it, what's really common is you know, that you have to spend some time yeah. uh, building, that, building yeah. that relationship. I mean, Why would that feeling part of you trust you? You've been wanting to kill it for 20 years. Exactly. Exactly. And I think the two things that we tell people to do right away is when they start that relationship, the first thing you have to do is it's like, it's like a parent who left or has ignored their child for a long time. So if you can kind of get that, like, what are you going to do? Right? One, the first thing you have to do is forgive, ask for forgiveness. Like, I'm sorry that I locked you up in a closet and didn't pay attention to you for all this time. Right. I really right. am. And then the second thing is you got to bring gratitude because all of these things are part of you. They have helped you stay alive, whether you want to believe it or not. Right. And if you can get into that state of gratitude and thank it. So now you've forgiven it, right? right? Now there's a ground. Now you thank it and that helps to build that relationship. And now you, you like, you get the other player's world. It's not yeah. this thing. It's right. this beautiful, amazing part of you that yeah. maybe just got hurt. That's right. And that's, that's right. it. So Yeah, no, you're right. In NLP, we call that seeing the positive intention of the various different parts of you. Um, there absolutely is a positive intention. You might not like the way some part of you is going about doing something, but there is a positive intention. If you are going to have any influence over yourself and build a relationship with that part of you, you absolutely have to recognize yeah. that positive. Brilliant. Intention. I'm super happy I asked that question because like, I was reading the book. I was like, I have to ask Mike. Uh, <laughs> all right, Mike, where – so we can do this forever uh, because I love these conversations. Yeah. Um, but I know we're, we're running out of time here. So where can – people find out about you. Do you want me to do that? Satoriprime.com backslash INLP link? Yeah, let's do that. I mean, if people want to go to our site, it's inlpcenter.org. However, there's a, a, a video, about a 20-minute video that sort of gives an overview of these self-sabotage uh, principles that's buried in our site. It's sort of like an internal landing page. I think it's better if people just go to your site. Okay, so we'll do, guys, what we'll do is go to satoriprime.com backslash I-N-L-P, and we'll have the video for you there. It talks a lot more in depth about the self-sabotage stuff, and it also uh, talks about Mike's AHA method, which is a plan of words. It's actually A-H-A on how you can remove self-sabotage. There's a cool story of his wife in there as well, which I found to be very, very cute. 
So yeah, um, any any last words you'd love to uh, share with the audience? Yeah, uh, I want to share my one of my favorite uh, quotes or maxims uh, with people, which kind of sums up our, in my mind, a lot of our conversation about self-sabotage. And the quote is that a well-defined problem seeks its own solution. Mm. And so uh, we like in personal development, we love to focus on goals and outcomes and defining all those things. And it's super important to do so. You need both sides of the story. What do you want and what's getting in your way? In terms of the problem space, uh, if you have a problem in which solutions aren't coming to you naturally, it means you have not defined the problem well enough. You don't really understand the problem Mm -hmm. because as soon as you understand the problem, solutions are going to start to come. So don't be afraid to look at a problem, consider a problem a fact, and then start to really uh, dig in and define it well because that's when solutions are going to start to come. So That's so good. Really, really good. Um, I like that distinction a lot. We actually tell people to go to bed with the question like, hey, brain, solve this problem for me. Yeah. Um, I like what you just said, which is if the answer is not coming, it's that you haven't phrased the question in a clear enough way, which is very, very smart. I'm going to steal that, Mike. Good, take it, (laughs) spread the word. Mike, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for taking your time and sharing this wisdom with our audience. We are uh, all forever grateful. You bet. Thanks, Elon. Really appreciate it. Have a great one. So that's it, my friends. That's today's episode. I just want to thank you for being part of our Have It All family and truly, truly thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help or give back in any way possible, the best way would be to share this or any other episode that you loved with your family, friends, or colleagues. And if you'd be so great as to just leave us a rating and a comment on either iTunes or Stitcher, whichever you use, that helps us tremendously. It only takes about two to three minutes of your time and would mean the world to us. Finally, I want to let you know that if you want to get even more exclusive content from Guy and I, Just head over to satoriprime.com and make sure you join our mailing list. Now, I know what you might be thinking, God, not another mailing list, but I promise you, you'll only get an email or two from us per week and it will always have amazing videos and articles that I'm sure you're going to love, promise. So until next time, you can join our ongoing conversation at the Have It All Facebook group where you can let us know how we're doing and what we can do to improve. Love you all, and we'll see you on the next Have It All podcast. Have an amazing, amazing day, my friends.